Philippians 4, 14 through 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, uh, about six months ago, I was, uh, I was in Phoenix for a, a training with our church planning network. And on, on my last day in Phoenix, uh, I had like several hours to kill before my flight. And so uh, I, I go to this coffee shop to get some work done and then end up meeting and talking to, to this guy in line as we're waiting to order our, our coffee. And he sees my suitcase uh, and the little tags on it. And he says, uh, he asked me the question, he's like, what, what brings you out to Phoenix? And so I tell him that I was out, out here for, for a training with some guys. And he goes, oh, training, like, what do you do? Uh, normally, I like to try and feel out a conversation first to, discern, to, to sort of discern how I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer that question. Because I've learned that if I just straight up say, like, I'm a pastor, uh, sometimes that just ends the conversation, right? <laughs> Gets awkward. And so sometimes I'll switch it up, you know, I'll, I, I won't lie or be dishonest, but I'll switch up how I say that. I'll say like, oh, I work for this new church in Orange County and then gives me them an opportunity to say like, oh, like, what do you do? Or tell me about the church or, or sometimes I'll say I'm a church planter because a lot of people don't know what that is. And so that's what, that's what I opted for. I tell him I'm a church planter. He's like, what does that mean? So I, I explained that I was sent by one church to start this other church, uh, to build a team, to lay down the foundation, to reach this community. And so he goes like, oh, so you're a pastor. I'm like, all right, yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And he goes on to tell me about how he doesn't go to, go to church. For some reason, when I tell people I'm a pastor, they, have, they feel like they have to tell me why they don't go to church. And he tells me that, uh, about how he had this, this childhood friend who who's grew up to be a pastor that he still sees every now and then. Now, this childhood friend of him is a pastor at this large church in the Phoenix area. His, his dad's a pastor at this church. His uncle's a pastor at this church. His grandpa is also a pastor at this church. And they run this huge church in town. And, and everyone in their family, he's telling me about how, how, how the, this buddy of his, he sees him at the gym sometimes. He drives like this $200,000 car. And everyone in the family, they've got these ginormous homes. And they're always asking for money, asking for money, asking for money. Sometimes he sees them on the, like, the low local Christian uh, TV station, and they're always asking for money. Uh, and, and so he just has this really bad taste in his mouth when it comes to churches and, and pastors and money. That's why I assured him, I'm like, bro, just so you know, I'm not that kind of pastor. Like, I remember the shorts that I was wearing that day six months ago were literally the only pair of shorts that I owned that weren't cut from jeans. <laughs> And so I assured him, I'm, I'm not in church ministry for the money. I'm not that kind of pastor. And the truth is, the truth is that a lot of us, a lot of us have a bad taste in our mouths when it comes to churches talking about money. 
guess what we get to talk about this morning? <laughs> Money. Giving. Some of you, some of you love that that we're that we're going there. You you've you've learned the biblical principles on money, and you know that they're so practical. You've learned how worshipful the act of stewardship, the art of stewardship, could be. You've seen God do miracles, stretching your resources. But but most of us, most of us get a little little skittish when the topic of money comes up because we're we're still trying to figure out how to gather up just enough to uh, meet and cover our basic needs and, and desires. If that's you, let me just say to you, like, I, I get it. Like, trust me, I, I really, really get it. Or maybe you're wary this morning because of your experiences like that guy in Arizona. Right? Your perception is that when, when church leaders talk about money, it's because they're just a bunch of clowns putting on an act and begging for money to take advantage of, of others. And so with that in mind, just tenderly speaking, I want to say that, that, that we're going to go there. We're going to talk on this topic but, and talk about it from a biblical perspective. But I want you to know that it's because, one, it's in our text here at the end of Philippians, one of the things I love about expository preaching, taking uh, uh, books of the Bible and going through them verse by verse, is that uh, you know we don't we don't we don't have the liberty of avoiding like uh, uncomfortable texts or topics. And so, one, it's in our text here at the end of Philippians. But two, if we're honest, so many of our problems and our issues, and our fears, and our worries, and our difficulties, and the various complexities of our lives revolve around our money and our stuff. Money is a God of our age that competes for our hearts. So to get there, to talk about this, I want you to remember, remember the context here that Philippians, this book that we know as Philippians is originally a thank you letter. It's a thank you note. It's a glorified thank you note from the Apostle Paul to this church that has supported him and given generously to him. And so he opened up this letter by giving thanks to them. And now he circles back at the end of the letter to thank them again. And so we're going to take a good look at Paul's relationship with the Philippian church, the way they've supported and partnered with him in the gospel. We're going to consider what that means for us today. So go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4, and let's begin reading in verse 14. I want you to see this. Paul says, after just talking about how he's learned the secret of contentment, he says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you. Your translation might say it was good of you to share my trouble. Verse 15, and you Philippians... You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, he's referring to the time when he, Paul, planted this church, when he taught them the gospel, when this group of people started following Jesus for the first time. And so he says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is the area surrounding Philippi, he says, when I left that region that you're in, no church... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
Paul says, look, I've been a lot of places. I've served a lot of people. I did ministry alongside a lot of different saints and, and churches. And of all the places that I've been, and among all the people that I've served, you guys get this more than anyone else. I've seen how you understand the grace of God, Paul says, by the way that you've just blessed me with your giving. That's the first thing I want you to see from our text this morning is that giving is an opportunity to bless others. Giving is an opportunity to bless others. You know what the definition of generosity is? The definition of generosity is loving people well with your resources, with your time, your talents, your treasures, just loving people well with your resources. That's what the Philippian church did to Paul. That's what caused Paul, spurred him on to write this letter in the first place. They've loved him well with their resources, with their time, with their gifts, their talents, and their treasure. By way of review, I want you to remember that Paul is writing this letter from where? From prison. He's writing from prison 800 miles away in Rome. And the way that the Roman prison system worked back then is that the prison yard would be protected by an armed platoon out on the perimeter. And they didn't give you food or clothing. Like, like they didn't have a, like a, a chow hall or orange jumpsuits that were just your right size, right? They didn't give you food or clothing in the Roman prison system. You had to have people that you knew. Friends, family, comrades would have to come to visit you to make sure that you had food and clothing and accommodations. And so people would who come and visit uh, prisoners to, to, to care for their friends and, and, and their family. Uh, and so the Philippian church, which was a church that Paul planted himself, they deeply loved him. And so they sent one of their own, this guy named Epaphroditus, to care for Paul's needs in prison. That's how they got this letter from him, because Epaphroditus came back with a letter from Paul. If you remember why Paul was in prison, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. What happened is that because Christianity was outlawed, because the empire saw this as a threat, a lot of churches in the region had either abandoned Paul altogether or they just didn't want to get caught supporting him. It's like imagine that if, if suddenly uh, it, it became uh, outlawed, it became illegal to have a Christian church here in our nation. Kind of a wild thing to imagine, right? But imagine that that's just the case, right? All of a sudden it gets outlawed and then uh, you, if you were caught in a church, it likely meant prison for you, could mean enslavement for you. I mean, that was the cost of following Jesus back then. That was the cost of doing ministry for Paul. I mean, my guess is that some of us in this room, if Christianity was outlawed in our nation, you'd say, yeah, I'm not going to do this Jesus thing that far, right? There's a point that you draw that line. And see, back then, though, if you were preaching the gospel like Paul, that would land you in prison. So that's his situation. And he was about to starve to death, eating scraps from all the other prisoners. And then all of a sudden, Epaphroditus comes from Philippi, shows up from 800 miles away. So this church could just express to him 
we would walk 400 miles. We would walk 400 more. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that's a long trek, right? That's a long trek. That's like from here to El Paso. Epaphroditus, by himself, does that trek to support Paul, to care for his needs. And so when Paul says in verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble, the words that he's using there are no accident. They're really sharing in his trouble. And that verse is an echo of what he said earlier in Philippians chapter 1, when he said, for you are all partakers with me of grace. The Greek word there for share in chapter 4 and the Greek word there for partakers with me in chapter 1 are very similar. Very similar. And so Paul's saying, look, we share in God's generosity. That's what he said in chapter 1. We share in God's grace. We share in God's generosity. The reason that that's important to establish is that we, we recognize that God is the generous one in this relationship. God is the generous one. And so because he's the generous one, the Philippian church knows that they've received generosity from God. And so now in chapter 4, Paul's saying, in light of that, you guys have been generous with me. Even when I'm in need, even when I'm suffering, even when I have troubles, you've shared also in my troubles. All of life is by the generosity of God. And so when you, you belong to Jesus, you know, understand that you are now an instrument of God's generosity to others. And so that's why they say they're sharing in his troubles. Because when you're generous with your resources, you are in some sense imitating God. Imitating God. You tap into something cosmic, something good. You sync up with God's generous heart toward others. That's what happened to the Philippian church. They were overflowing with God's grace that they, that they partook in chapter 1. And so they're sharing in Paul's troubles now because they've received God's grace. Because God's had their back, they have Paul's back. And you know what? The Philippian church, they, they didn't really have much to give. They didn't have much to give. I want you to read this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is, talk, is writing this letter to another church in, in Corinth, writing to them uh, about, about how, how, how kind of encouraging them uh, to increase in their generosity towards others. And he, he tells them about the church in Philippi. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, read with me in verse 1, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Remember, the churches in Macedonia, that's where Philippi was. He says, verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Re read that. Verse 2 and again, he says, Their abundance of joy, the churches of Macedonia, including the church in Philippi, their abundance of joy with their extreme poverty have resulted in, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That is a wild equation. Abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals overflowing in wealth of generosity? Have you ever noticed how, like, generally speaking, some of the most generous people 
are the ones that really just don't have much at all. You know why that is? We kind of touched on this last week in our uh, sermon on contentment, but it's because that people that don't really have that much stuff know that stuff doesn't make you happy. Stuff doesn't make you whole. Did you know that the largest contributor to our church network, which, which helps support King's, King's Cross, our, our, our church association, is a church of, of only just a few hundred people. I mean, there are churches with thousands of members in this network, but the largest single contributor is a young church of just a few hundred people. Most of them are college students in their 20s or young families in their 30s, and they're the most generous church. Why? Because their abundance of joy plus their lack overflows in a wealth of generosity. They have joy in God's grace. Joy in God's grace that overflows in their generosity. Paul continues in in, in 2 Corinthians 8, read verse 3 with me. He says, for they gave, these churches, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and they also gave beyond their means of their own accord. Willingly. I didn't ask them to. On their own, they generously gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged for the privilege to give towards the mission, even when they were in extreme poverty. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul's saying, look, even I was surprised. He's like, I know these churches. I know the church and the saints in Philippi. I know how awesome they are. And even I was surprised that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, they gave themselves to the work of the Lord in their local churches. And then they gave above and beyond that to support Paul and his missionary friends. You see, Paul is saying to the Philippians church in this letter, You guys are amazing. You guys are so generous. You really get this. You really get this abundance of joy. You really get the joy of giving, this perspective of giving. Giving for them was a blessed opportunity to be a blessing to others. That's point number one. Point number two, if you're taking notes, giving is also an opportunity to be blessed. Giving is an opportunity for the giver to also be blessed. Where do we see that? Verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift. He's he's careful to clarify here what he's not saying. Then he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, what is he saying here? He's not saying he doesn't appreciate their financial gift. In verse 18, he says, I have what I need now because of the gifts that you sent with Epaphroditus. So he's not saying that he doesn't appreciate their financial gift. What he is saying is that the thing that amps him up the most, even more than him being blessed by them, is the way that they're going to be blessed by the Lord for it. 
The thing that amps Paul up the most is not so much that he's going to receive material blessing from them, but the fact that this church that he loves is going to receive spiritual blessing from the Lord because of it. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not ultimately after your money, but I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. He says, I seek the fruit, spiritual fruit. There's something more going on here. He wants the Philippians to bear spiritual fruit. He wants them to grow spiritually, to grow in intimacy with their God. Paul's stoked because the Philippians are actually bearing fruit. And he knows that because of the way that they're giving generously. He says, you guys are actually living like Christians. He started the letter, the letter praying that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And here, their generosity is evidence that Jesus' righteousness has really got a hold of their hearts. That his righteousness has really changed them. They're not so much concerned with earthly returns as it is with heavenly returns. That's why he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul considers their gift to him to be a spiritual investment. He uses four phrases in our passage. He says you shared. He talks about giving and receiving. He talks about increases to your credit. He talks about full payment. All of these four phrases are, are straight up language from like a first century business agreement. If you looked at a business agreement in the ancient Near East in the first century, like you'd see all of these terms and phrases in an agreement like that. And so when two or more parties would come together for some like entrepreneurial business venture in the first century uh, 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 ancient Near East, uh, that, that, that's what you, those are the kind of words that you would see. And so Paul is borrowing, borrowing that language. He's borrowing that imagery to make a point of the partnership that he has with them. But he says, instead of pulling resources together to make a profit, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But he says, in this case, you guys have pulled resources together, not just to make a profit, but to make disciples. Not to grow a brand or a business, but to advance God's kingdom. Man, you guys are being blessed by that. He says, giving isn't just a way to bless me, but you guys have received the honor, the privilege, the blessing of that. And then number three, if you're taking notes, he says, giving brings glory to God. Brings glory to God. Where do we see that? Verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul transitions here to some, to some Old Testament imagery. You see, in the, in the ancient world, you had these sacrificial offerings that would, that would burn uh, at the temple. And then the symbol was that the burning made a pleasing aroma to God. You see that kind of language all throughout the Old Testament. And so Paul's saying, look, in the same way, when you give generously in the new covenant, when you give generously to me today, like that is pleasing to God. That's an aroma that's pleasing to God. And what's, what's fascinating about this 
is that that Old Testament imagery about the sacrificial offering and the aroma was like the primary image of worship in the Old Testament. The primary image of worship. And so Paul is using imagery of worship here. That's how high a value he places on giving. He says it's a way to worship God. It's a way to bring him glory. Do you see why this is like an important matter for us to work through? It's a matter of worship, of having a heart of worship. Jesus talked about money and giving 20% or 25% of, of the time in, in, in his recorded teachings in the Gospels. If you take all the teachings of Jesus when he opened his mouth, in some form or fashion, a fourth of those times he was talking about our relationship with money, our relationship with our stuff. Why? Why does he do that? Because money is a matter of worship. And he's after our hearts. He's after our worship. Read the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says, look, you either worship God and use money, or you can worship money and have it use you. You know why giving is so hard for us? Because it's terrifying. It's hard because it's, it's terrifying, especially when you're like, Man, I need these resources for myself. I need every penny of it for myself. And when you give, but when you give generously, Paul knows that you are putting death, you're putting to death an idol in your life. It's a matter of worship. And so he encourages them in verse 19, knowing how terrifying giving is. He says in verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the ways that we bring glory to God is by trusting him to meet our needs, even when giving just doesn't make sense. One of the ways that we glorify God is by trusting him to meet our needs even when giving doesn't make sense, even when it hurts. How many of you have heard of the old tradition, the Old Testament tradition called tithing? Right? Most of us have heard of that, right? You know where that comes from? It's from like in, in the Old Testament, God instituted this, this festival for his people called the Festival of First Fruits. And the idea is that God's people would gather on the festival of first fruits. They would gather their first earnings of their harvest, the best of their crops, uh, the, the first 10%, and they would offer it to the high priest to support the work and the worship in the temple and to provide sacrifices to, to, to God. And then they would, they would all gather then at, 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 in that area and they would recite their story of grace, how they were once slaves, but God rescued them, how he overcame their enemies, how he provided for them in the desert. And the idea is that you express gratitude for all that God has done with that first 10%. That's what the Festival of First Fruits is all about. 
And there was always a risk because in, in, in that sort of climate and culture, like you had no idea how that other 90% was going to last you. Right? What if there's a drought? What if the heat destroys the rest of the crops? I'm mean, usually the first 10% of your crop is the best. Like what if, what, if, what if the heat destroys the rest of it? What if we get plundered by an enemy? But God tells them, man, I dare you to trust me. I dare you to trust me. Watch what I can do with a little faith, God says. We see this in Malachi chapter 3 when God says, look, bring the whole tithe to the storehouses. Put me to the test and I will pour down into your hearts blessings. Not many, I mean, this is the only place in, 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 in the Old Testament where God says, hey, put me to the test on this. Put me to the, go, put, bring your tithe to the storehouses. Put me to the test on this. Watch what I'll do. Watch how generous I'll be to you. The point of the festival of first fruits was to release trust, was to grow their faith, was to draw God's people into a more intimate relationship with their God. And true to his word, God would increase and stretch that other 90%. And then seven weeks later at this next festival, the festival of Shavuot, the festival of wheats, out of the overflow of God's provision, they would just give again. They'd give again. The first time was a giving of gratitude. God, thank you for all that you've done. The second one is a giving just out of their abundance. They give again. They discovered that when they placed their trust in God, He always provided. You might be thinking this morning, you might be in this position where you're thinking, like, how, how can I do this? I, mean, I don't make anything. I don't make any. I know there's some people in this room that, like, you, I mean, you just don't have an income right now. You're in between jobs, you're a student, right? You, you, don't, you don't have, you hardly have anything. And so you're asking, how can I do this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question, but, but God does. God knows the answer, and that's between, between you and him. And you need to trust that he's your provider. And the amazing thing, and some of you know this, is that when you do give, you can start to see all of a sudden that God provides in miraculous ways, in mysterious ways. I see some of you shaking, like nodding your heads because you've seen this at work in your own lives. Like there's just something about giving to the point that you really start to feel it, which is what the Philippian church did. And that just wakes you up to the reality that God is at work in mysterious ways that he provides. One time last year, uh, when Alyssa and I, I mean, we were like a year deep into this church planting journey, and we had like, um, I mean, we took like a, a heavy uh, income uh, decrease to, to, to do the work of, of, of church planting. And, and we'd at this point, like about a year ago, we'd used up all of our savings. And there was this one particular day where we had like $30 in our checking account. Zero dollars in savings, thirty dollars in our checking account, one credit card that we no longer own today, but at the time we did, and, and, and it was completely like maxed out. We had like almost no groceries. 
And we all of a sudden got hit with this bill, this utility bill that was like $200 more than we expected. They were like threatening to like shut off this utility and we were so bummed, so frustrated. We fought. You ever notice how like uh, in, in a home, in a family, that when, when finances are, 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 are tight and you, you, you're not experiencing the, 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 the joy of giving, that, 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 that you just, um, that you fight more, there's more tension. And so we fought and then we prayed, we prayed hard. And right after praying, um, I had the sense that I should go out to the mailbox. Um, I wasn't expecting a check or anything like that, but I just thought, you know, like, just for kicks, you know? I felt this prompting in my spirit. I was like, well, I should go out to the mailbox and see what this is about, and and it's probably nothing, you know? And so I grab the mailbox key, and I go out to the box, and I open it up, and there's uh, two envelopes in there. Like, one's like a coupon saver thing that stores that, like, we don't even use, go to. And the other one... It was a $300 royalty check for this book that I wrote like back in 2012. I haven't received a check like that high from then since like the year that it came out. Every royalty check I've seen from then since there has been like under $15. Yeah, several months ago, I opened it and I got all of a sudden like $300 royalty check. I'm like, who the heck is buying this book? (laughs) Like years after it was written. So thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> and that was just wild. I'm like, God is a provider. Why did I ever doubt that he could just pull through at the last second just a little bit more than what we needed to pay that bill and buy groceries until the, the next check came in the mail? You guys will love this other story, this instance I read in one of my commentaries. Um, I think this one might even be better. Like this couple was serving in youth ministry, making almost nothing. Serving in youth ministry at this small church. And one day they were down to 13 cents in their account. They didn't get paid for another couple days. And, and, and they were really feeling this 13 cents in their account. Like they had hardly any groceries and they didn't even have basic necessities, necessities like toilet paper. Right? I mean, man, I'd rather have no food in my pantry than no toilet paper when I have 13 cents. It's like, no food, I can work with that. But like, no toilet paper, what are you going to do? Hold it <laughs> for two days? And that night, they decided to take Philippians 4, 6, and 7 seriously. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And so they prayed. They got on their knees, this young couple, and they prayed. Just so happens that later that night, their youth group did what youth groups tend to do, and teepeed their home. (laughs) But these kids apparently were like total noobs and only used half of the pack. And so they leave the other half of the pack unopened, just laying in the front yard. Isn't that wild? I mean, that's like the Lord works in mysterious ways right there. To the T. I want you to read verse 21 and 22 with me. See, Paul's been thanking this church for their generosity. 
encouraging them in that and says, look, I know that this is hard, but I know that God's going to provide for you for your needs through the riches of Christ Jesus. Then he closes with this greeting we see in verse 21 and 22. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying every believer out there in Philippi, 800 miles away, say hello to everyone. The brothers who are with me greet you. That's the brothers that are with him in in, in prison, fellow prisoners that he's had the opportunity to share the gospel with. Verse 22, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now listen to this, because this is wild. You know who that is? The saints of Caesar's household? Remember who Caesar is? Caesar is the one in in whose name Paul was in prison, right? So his household, Caesar's household, are all the people, the slaves, the workers, the prison guards who work for Caesar. Again, in whose name Paul was imprisoned. Because everyone was supposed to say in the region, Caesar is Lord. Paul's going out saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And so that's how he got here in prison. So Paul's saying, all these people in the household of Caesar, slaves, workers, prison guards, these people who work for Caesar, some of them are brothers and sisters now. And they, they especially want to say hi to you. I've told them about you. I've told them about my love for you. And they say, hello. Who once, all these people who once said Caesar is Lord are now saying Jesus is Lord. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. I mean, think of those people in your life that you think would never come to faith in Jesus. People in your life where you're like, no, their hearts are so hard. They're so cold towards the gospel. They hate Christ. They hate the church. But here, we see Jesus can reach anyone. Jesus can reach any of them. Caesar is trying to stamp out the gospel, and here the Spirit of God is working through the ministry of Paul, supported by the church in Philippi, and it's spreading on Caesar's own turf, in his own household. Praise God for that. And that's the last point I want you to see if you're taking notes, is that giving advances the mission of God. Giving advances the mission of God. What is God's mission in this world? His mission in the world to spread his glory, to have disciples of Jesus made, is accomplished through the generosity of God through his people. Through generous servants like Paul. Generous churches like Philippians, the Philippians in the first century. And generous churches by the grace of God, like King's Cross in the 21st century. You see, when his people, when God's people say, our time, our talents, our treasure, our resources are not going to be to spread our fame, but Jesus' fame, not for my influence, but Jesus' influence, that's what it's all about. 
It's about advancing the kingdom, advancing the mission of God. You, do you remember the first converts in Philippi? We, we talked about this in, in, in sermon number one in our Philippians teaching series. The first converts in Philippi, we actually read about them in the book of Acts as Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman who was kind of like a general seeker. She wasn't sure what she was looking for, but, but she was a wealthy businesswoman seeking spiritual things. There was a demon-possessed slave girl who was opposing the things of God that, 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 that got delivered. There was this, this jailer who was just totally indifferent. He was just kind of minding his own business, just working on the job, and all of a sudden he gets hit with the gospel. He gets come saved, and his, he brings his whole household hold, uh, in to hear the gospel. I mean, all these unlikely converts, these unlikely converts in Philippi, they, 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 they become saved. They start to grow in their faith. They share the gospel with others. They grow as a church despite opposition. And together now they're supporting Paul, their old friend in ministry, in his ministry to other churches, starting here in this Roman prison. Paul shares the gospel with those in the prison. The prison guards get saved. The guards, the, the workers in Caesar's household get saved. Paul gets out of prison eventually, and then more churches are planted. The gospel spreads from nation to nation to nation. And over the last couple thousand years, from continent to continent, from the ancient Near East, where it started down into deep Africa, over into Asia, up into Europe, across the pond, over into the Americas, do you know how the gospel got to Rancho Santa Margarita, California? Long before King's Cross Church, long before Rick Warren, if you trace the line all the way back, the gospel got here because apostles like Paul planted churches in Philippi, in Rome, in Colossae, in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Corinth. You know what that should do? You know what that, that fact should do in our hearts? Man, we should make us marvel. It should make us marvel at the unstoppable power of God's generous grace towards his people. I mean, the heartbeat of our mission at King's Cross is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God and for the good of others. We do that by delighting in Jesus, by declaring what Jesus has done, and by displaying the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, by reflecting the generosity of our God to a world that desperately needs him. I want you to ask this morning, what do you need to give toward the mission of God? Ask honestly, what do you need to give generously, cheerfully to the mission of God? What resources that you have? What time that you have? What talents, spiritual gifts that you have do you need to give toward the mission of God? To be clear, I mean, I'm I'm looking around, I think most everyone here is either seeking Jesus or, or following him. But just to be clear, if you're here and not a Christian, let me be clear on this point. We're not asking you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to give a penny. 
We don't want you to give if you're not a follower of Jesus. We just want you to receive. Give us the blessing of ministering to you with the gospel so that you can come to receive Jesus as Lord. As your Lord who gives rest and peace and a hope for your weary soul. But for those of us who who are followers of Jesus, who are Christians, we give. We give generously. We give to in a way that we, we feel it, not because we have to, but because we get to. Of an overflow of our hearts, we get to reflect the generosity of our great God who gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our God is a generous God. And so we get to reflect his generosity to others when we give. Paul opened his letter with a blessing when he said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now... He ends with a similar blessing when he says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He starts with the blessing of grace. He ends with the blessing of grace because he knows that we need this grace more and more and more. We need our relationships in this church to be saturated with grace. We need to go forth with this grace, and we should praise God for this grace that he's given us in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who brings us great joy. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.